Gotta figure out how to weave the word awesomeness into stuff. That's a that's a new word. I like that. Awesomeness. Awesomeness. Aw- aws- awesomeness. Awesomeness. You guys are awesomeness. How about that? Does that work? All right. When I did my that first fifth step, I went right into six and seven. And looking back on it, it was just kind of, are you ready to change? Yeah, I'm ready to change. And I just kind of did a prayer and moved on. And uh, it, it looked like probably for me at that time that six and seven was just kind of like filler material on the steps, <laughs> right? I mean, that, I mean I did, you really don't fully understand the, the, the depth of those two steps and the real meaning of them. I mean, I, I just knew that I was a, I had a wasted, busted life and that I had... I had done a poor job running my life, that I had harmed people, and that, that I needed to change. I mean, I knew I needed to change. And there were a lot of things about myself that I didn't like, that I, I didn't want to repeat. And I think, looking back on it, I was probably real naive about life and real naive about how hard it was going to be to actually change. And there, I mean, there were some things that, that I immediately stopped doing. Um, but, man, as I stayed sober, <laughs> stuff, you know, stuff would creep back in. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, um, you know, I was, I was told immediately that, hey, you need to go back and, and make amends for, for this stuff. And I was told that if you want to stay sober and if you really meant that commitment that you made to accept spiritual help and to turn your life over to that power, then the, you know, one of the main parts of that process is correcting the wrongs that you've done. And, you know, seven, eight weeks sober, I mean, there were things that immediately needed to be cleaned up just so I could walk out the town when I lived there. I mean, I just, I mean, because prior to getting sober, I mean, if it daylight, I didn't show up anywhere. I, I'd go out at night, right? And even, uh, I lived in this little town called Coates, about 1,200 people, two stoplights at that time. And you had to go to the post office to get your mail. They didn't come and deliver the mail to your house, right? So, I mean, I'd, go, I'd sneak into the post office at night, you know, to get my mail, and I'd throw half of it away because I ain't paying my bills. Um, <laughs> but there were, there were a lot of things that needed to, to be cleaned up immediately. And it, it, it was interesting, looking back on that, these were things that I would have just automatically assumed that other people were going to take care of for me. You know, and I, I never... I, mean, I just thought about this as Rich was talking and I was thinking about it. I, I don't recall, I mean, I almost immediately stopped asking my parents for help, which was part of my amends. Because I, mean, I just, I mean, I, I used them and I used them and just continued to use them. And, um, you know, there were, I had bad checks and that I had to go take care of. I owed people money. And I'm the type of guy, I'm thinking, well, I don't have any money. I can't go talk to them. Yeah, I don't have any money. I can't go, you know, make good on a bad check if you don't have the cash. And I was told that that doesn't matter. That you need to go talk to them and stop hiding from them and make the best deal that you can. Make arrangements. Nowadays, we want to get the big pile of money and just go boom. Here, here, here it is. And you know, I was told that that's not what you do. You just go and you you you, you quit hiding. Tell the truth make the best arrangement you can. And I did that, you know, I went to the grocery stores and said, hey, I don't have, I don't have the money to pay you, but here I am, I'm not hiding from you anymore. I said, as soon as I get the money, I'm gonna pay you for it. 
and slowly over time I paid those things back. I had I had some outstanding warrants. These were not the traffic ones I was telling you about the, yesterday. These were some different pending charges down at the Harney County Courthouse that I had been hiding from. And I was told, hey, you know, you got to go down there and turn yourself in. And I'm like, whoa, it's up to them to come find me. They got the warrant, right? I mean, you don't just go turn yourself in and 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 say, here I am. It's, you know, it's kind of a game, right? They got to come find you, and, and that's, that's part of it. And uh, I was told, no, that's what they did. They kind of laughed at me like that. And uh, I said, no, you got to go down and turn yourself in. And you know what? I, I went down, and there, yeah, I, I didn't, that didn't feel good. I didn't want to do that, but it worked out, right? I went down and told the truth, and yeah, took the medicine, and it all, you know, it, it, I got what I got, and it, it worked out fine. But by taking those actions of, of showing up and being honest and telling the truth and not hiding and just saying, here I am, yeah, I did it. What do I got to do to make it right? It all, you know, it all worked out. You know, I owed a lot of money. And, uh, you know, again, I'm like, man, I can't, you know, how are you going to pay this back? When you get sober, the mountain ahead of you looks like it's, you're never going to be able to overcome it. I mean, how am I ever going to clean this stuff up? How am I ever going to pay off this debt? Or how am I ever going to make this right with these people? And when you're sitting there, you're like, there's just no way that this is ever going to work out. My life's just going to be, you know, I'm going to be just, uh, you know, crippled all my life because of all these things that I've done. And, you know, a little bit at a time. And I had I had one financial amends, you know, and I, you know, again, I tell tell my sponsor that I, you know, I can't, I don't have any money to, to do anything. Well, call them up and see if you can send them five dollars a month until you get more money. I was told that the the act of giving was way more important than the amount. It's just like the basket, you know. When the basket goes around, I was I was a guy that was told you always put money in it. If, if, well, what if you don't have any? Well, if you got a dime, you give that. That the action is what's important. And I had one of those financial amends that took me ten years to pay back. I I sent that I sent those folks money every month for ten years. And guess what? It got paid off. As I started making more money, I started sending more money, and it got paid off. I would have told you when I first got sober that that. That, that's going to ruin me for life. I'm never going to be able to, to overcome that. You know, and I got over it. And it, it got paid off by, by taking those actions, by not hiding, uh, by not making excuses. Um, you know, I had family members I had to go back and talk to immediately. Um, and, you know, I went, went and had honest discussions with them. Um, and... As I started to take those actions and I started to, to stay sober, you know, my life started to change. And I'll share a couple of stories with you that, that, that more, more of this happened as I, as I was sober a few years. And when I, got, when I first got sober, some of my discussions with my family were, hey, you know, I apologize for what I did. You know, I know that I was a bad son or a bad brother and... You know, this is what I did. And they were just so daggone happy that I was sober and wasn't causing problems. That they were like, hey, Jerry, you know, it's, it's okay. It's good. And everything's going to be okay. And we're glad that you're sober. And we're going to help you out as best as we can. And as I stayed sober, I, 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 I became conflicted with that and realized that maybe some of that was a little insufficient. Um, and 
I'll tell you tell you a little bit about a couple of those here in, in a minute. Uh, I also, um, if you've been sober for a while and maybe haven't completely lived by spiritual principles in all areas of your life, you can be sober and, and really accumulate some some damage that's kind of be cleaned up when you're sober. And I'll share an experience with you. I, uh, when I first got sober, a guy took a chance on me and gave me a job. And not long after I, I, I was working for him, he actually gave me a part of the business. And I, uh, I'm sober a couple of years and you know, I'm, I'm needing more money and I come up with these real clever ways to basically, you can call it what you want to, it's, they call it embezzlement. Um, I came up with some clever ways to, to do work and to keep the money. And I, uh, here's, here's, here's what kind of set it off. I, so I do it and I'm, and I'm justifying, like it's okay. Other people are doing it. You know, I saw my dad do it as a kid. And I, you know, I was sober for a while before I realized that's kind of where I learned, learned it, but learned it from. But anyway, um, they, they fired a guy for basically doing the same thing. And when that happened, it kind of hit me that, oh, well, maybe this ain't right. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be justifying it. And I finally made a decision I was going to stop doing it. I haven't told anybody about it. I haven't talked to my sponsor about it. I haven't really you know, prayed much about it. Or I'm just going to stop doing it. Well, man, the harder I, stopped, the harder I tried to stop doing it, the better thief I became. Right? And, the, and it just it just hit it was this vicious cycle, almost like trying to quit drinking. You'd wake up in the morning, man, I'm not going to do it today, and you get to work, and the next thing you know, you've done it, right? And then you beat yourself up, and you make these resolutions not to do it again. The next day, you go in, and you, and you do it again. And I finally got, it finally got real conflicted about it, and I talked to my sponsor about it. And he had some, some choice words for me, but anyway, I, he, he asked me to, he asked me to write it down, and and I, uh, you know, I, I kind of did a little inventory on it and, and wrote down what I'd done and how I'd done it and why I'd done it. And I was also in the process that time of going through a, me and my first wife had gotten back together after I was sober about nine months and was, was, we were in the process of basically splitting up. And um, anyway, I did the inventory on, on the, on the marriage and the inventory on, on work and, um, uh, so I shared with my sponsor exactly what I'd done, and in my mind, right, I know what's coming next. He's going to, he's something about an amends, right? I'm going to have to figure out how to clean it up. And so I've already devised several ways in my mind to pay this money back without having to tell anybody about it, right? And uh, so anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to Paige, and I'm telling him, like, you know, well, this is what I've done. He says, well... He says, you know what you got to do, don't you? And I was like, what? He says, well, you're going to have to go back and talk to your employer and, and basically turn yourself in. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And I said, I know this is going to sound funny, but it's true. I'm like, you see right here in the step, it says you do that except when to do so would injure them or others. And I'm an other in this case. <laughs> don't, you've got to realize that, my God, they're going to fire me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. 
right? I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to have to move into the Salvation Army or the healing place. And uh, they might even throw me in jail. Like it's a criminal offense. I mean, they're probably, man, they might even, you know, call the authorities and want me to go to jail or press charges and they go to prison. And he's like, he's like, well, you're not another. He says, as a matter of fact, you and your wife are kind of, you're, you know, we're separated now and you don't have any kids and don't have any real responsibility to anybody, do you? And I was like, no. I said, so if you lose your job, nobody's really going to get harmed but maybe you. <laughs> and I, and I, if you go to jail, nothing's going to happen. Uh, other to anybody other than you, maybe you can start a group in prison. And uh, uh, guy, not real compassionate. Jeez, hell. And uh, and so you know, so what happened was we we came up with a plan to, to go back to my employer and, and make an amends. And all I can tell you is I was I was scared to death. And. I, uh, you know, I mean, I wanted to do it because I knew that it wasn't right, but I, I was scared, and I, I called my employer up and set an appointment up to meet with him, and while I was doing that, people from the program were praying for me, and I went in, and I, I, I laid out what I'd done, showed him exactly what I'd done, how I'd done it, talked about the amount, it was a large sum of money, and um, I tell you, I went into that absolutely prepared to lose my job and I made arrangements I was prepared to go to jail and it was pointed out to me in the, in the literature where it says that usually whatever the situation we have to do something about it and even if that means loss of job, loss of reputation or, or going to jail I was absolutely prepared to do that because I had come to the conclusion that you know, through discussions with people that it was it was wrong and that that I, I would rather clean that up than to 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 live live with that and live with that burden and to, to not be right in the eyes of, of of God and so when I laid that out for my boss he um, he looked at me and he he said something like this he says you know I'd been sober for I guess at that time three or four years and he said that I really appreciate what you've done for the you know, for our, for the company uh, over the last few years, and I know that you've worked hard and you've overcome a lot of stuff. And he said that um, he appreciated me telling him the truth and getting honest about it. And he said he said that he had been forgiven for worse. This is a non-alcoholic, and uh, he said he'd been forgiven for worse, and that. And the best thing we can do is to, to learn from this and to forget about it and move on. Now I'm sitting there thinking, my God, I've lost sleep over this for three months, and now he just wants to forget about it. I'm like, come on, dude, just give, give me something better than that. Uh, yeah. And But you know what? I've learned so much from non-alcoholics. And I've had so, uh, so many non-alcoholics that have helped me in life. Um... And, and, and you know what happened was that I paid the money back. It wasn't mine to keep. So I, I paid the money back. They didn't fire me. And I'm telling you, man, we, we, they had fired people for way worse stuff. Today you could never get away with that, but he, they kept me on. And 
he basically just said he wanted me to continue to work hard and continue to, to do what was best for the company and for customers. And that's what I started to do. And I had an experience right at that same time when I was when I was working with Paige on this, and um, some of you have heard this story before. But we were we were reading stuff out of the book, and this was right before I was getting ready to go make the amends. And I can I I, I told Paige I was like, you know, there's not a lot written in the big book on page, on step six and seven. And if you've ever had an experience, if you if you think about your life. Just in general, or your life sober, there's, there's, you can always point to one or two things that just change the course of your life. Well, this was one of them. I said, you know, there's not a lot written in the book on step six and seven. And he just looked at me and he said, he says, if there was more you could do, there would be more written. And it just, it, like this light bulb came on and it, it literally changed the course of my life. He says, if there was more you could do, there would be more written. Your job is to be willing to change and to give up the old, the old behavior and, the, and the, the, the defect. And that when you're truly willing to change, that that power will show up and help you do that. And, you know, it made sense to me. He says, you can't work on your defect. you got to be done with it. And... The more you work on stuff, the better you get at it. So the more you work on a defect, right, the, more, the better you're going to get at that defect. That, it's the op- that you've got to practice the opposite of that. And you know, through that, at that time, I mean, I was going through this divorce. I was dealing with that work stuff. And life can get dark sober, right? And, and you start giving up on things. And you start blaming God. And you start blaming other people again. And... Um, you know, what happened to me was I, I actually got through that divorce without any argument or contention. It just, it was, it was just smooth. I got through that amends with, with work. And, um, and I realized that, you know, a lot of times when you feel like you're getting further and further away from God, you're actually getting closer because when you, when you give up and when you truly become willing to change and you have that surrender moment that you can't create, that power shows up. And, and helps you and, and for me came in and healed me and, and gave me power to actually be a good employee gave me power to actually treat women differently than I treated my first wife and I realized that through that process that really what, what, what I was dealing with was I call it a second step issue in that I didn't trust and rely on God to take care of my finances. I didn't trust and rely on God to take care of my relationship with a woman. And I'll give you 80%, but I'm going to keep this 20%. And you know, you can have all that other stuff, but I'm going to take care of my money and the relationship. And you know, Paige asked me, he says, why do you limit the power of God? Why do you doubt that the power of God ain't going to take care of those two things for you? And that the only limits that, that there are are the ones that you put on yourself. And, um, you know, my, it changed the course of my life going, going through that, that experience. And, and I, you know, I came to realize that, that, you know, that six and seven are really about giving up and being really getting serious about the business of life. 
it's not about being staying sober anymore. It's about getting on with the business of life and act, actually truly believing that there's a power greater than me that can help me with everything. That I got to bring God into all areas of my life. And that, that the more what you feed is what grows. What you spend your time on, that's what you become. And so I got to spend less time on being resentful and more time on practicing love, practicing tolerance, practicing the principle of being honest, practice the principle of giving. And that the more I practice those things, the more those things build up inside of me, and that's, that's who I become. And uh, about two weeks after making the amends to work at work, I got a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny how that happens. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go out and start <laughs> that you just go out and start telling your employer what you've done the last few months, and magical things are going to happen. Um, but that's what happened was that, that I got a promotion, and what I started doing, paying the money back wasn't enough. I needed to change my behavior at work. I needed to be a better employee. And it hit me that in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I come to meeting hour early. I come to meeting two hours early if somebody told me to. And I I help out. I get things going. I sit up. I go out of my way to be helpful to people. Right? I'm prepared when I chair a meeting. I make sure I'm prepared. I got everything laid out. I know what I'm going to do. I stay late, I clean up, I do things without being asked, right? I reach out to people, I give people rides, right? I listen to people, and then I go to work and I don't do any of that, <laughs> right? And I'm like, so I've got the ability to do those things, right? I'm practicing it every day. Uh, except for at home and at work. <laughs> yeah, right? So what happened was, to me was, I was like, man, this is pretty simple. You take what you do at your AA group and do that everywhere. And so I started doing that at work. And I had done that a little bit. I don't want to say that I was an absolute, completely terrible employee. I, I did a lot of work and worked hard. I just happened to yeah, be a little dishonest. <laughs> Uh, but but what happened was that's what I started doing I started literally trying to I learned this from Don Pritz he says take God with you when you go into the door at work don't check him in the parking lot take that power in there with you and I started doing that and I started showing up earlier and I started being prepared for things and I started learning things that I didn't need to learn I started taking an interest in other people Right? I started doing more than what was required of me. I started doing more than what was on my job description. And I started staying late. And I started going out of my way to, to be of service. And that was part of making that amends back to that company. And what I can tell you is, is that over time, that my, my career started to change. Right? My relationship with people there started to change. That little company that we owned got bought, and then we got bought, and then we got bought, and then we got bought. And then over time, I started to, to get positions that I was absolutely not qualified to do on paper. I became the president of one of the, of, of, a bigger company that bought us. I was, became the president of one of their 
businesses. Managed over a billion dollars in revenue, had 1,500 people working under me. All because of Alcoholics Anonymous and because of my willingness and commitment to make the amends to that company and to try to, to be a different employee. And um, that, you know, I, I learned that in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was sober about seven years and realized that. That, that through just through living and, and, and growing up and paying attention and you know I started applying those principles at home and with my family and I was sober about seven years and realized I had done a poor job making amends to my mom and in that it was just kind of a quick discussion and, and I, I tried to be a good son over those seven years and, and, and was but you know in my mind I'm Man, why can't she do this why can't she be like this? And I would drive to her house and I'd have all these discussions going in my mind about what I'm going to say to her. And why can't she get over my dad 20 years later? And just on and on and on. And it hit me one time that at about seven years sober that my job is not to change my parents. My job is to honor my parents. I learned that through a different actual spirit, uh, spiritual program. But... My job is to honor my parents. My job is not to try to change them. My job is not to, to basically what would happen is I'd do the accurate director thing. I'd have discussions with my mom and then I would like, you know, like indirectly and nonchalantly throw little things at her. Well, why don't you do this? And why don't you show, do that? And then, and then she wouldn't do any of it and I'd get pissed off. And my anger would be just inside. I wouldn't like show it to her, but it would, I would get mad because, you know, well, they're not doing what I want them to do. And, so I started to realize that you know my job is just to practice that forgiveness and that acceptance with 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 my mom and just let her be who she is. Right? She's she's an old woman. She's lived a long time. She doesn't need me telling her what to do. She is who she is. And when I started coming at her with a with a with, uh, with more of a, a loving, compassionate attitude, our relationship changed. And I took her out to lunch one day, and I. Uh, I, needed, I wanted to have a, a, more of an honest discussion with her about amends. I had heard, I had, I had heard Don talk one time, and he, he, he was talking about amends, and he says that he knew what he did to people, but he had no idea what it did to them. <coughs> and when that hit me, I was like, well, you know, that's probably right. And uh, I sat down with my mom this, this day, and, and I just you know, kind of laid it out. I was like, you know, I know that... Uh, you know, when I was when when I was out there drinking and 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 being rebellious and chaotic, that I I, I caused you a lot of damage, caused you a lot of, a lot of pain, and uh, I know that I never really gave you an opportunity to to talk about that or to say anything to me about it. And I really had no idea what she was going to do. <laughs> well, <laughs> she she'd been waiting. <laughs> Yeah, she'd been waiting for a long time. <laughs> and so anyway, she went into this long, uh, it, it was absolutely not uh, n- not mean or vindictive. It was just, she was just kind of just telling me how she felt about you know, getting the call that, you know, 15-year-old son had you know, gotten in a car accident and, 
they didn't know what was going to happen to him and getting a call that hey, your son's just been arrested for assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill and we had to go you know, take him out of the high school in handcuffs and uh, she told me this story about I was evidently in a blackout at uptown at this this little town that we lived in and was was belligerent and and causing a big scene and she came up there to get me and evidently I had physically assaulted her there in the parking lot of the convenience store. I had no recollection of that at all. And um, you know, she went on to tell me about you know how she felt about all those nights that she worried about me and you know and, and, and hurting her and um and she finished and I was like, well, I said, you know, I, I basically you know, told her that I regretted that, that I had to put her through all that. And and I asked her, you know, well what you know, what can I do to make that right? And the amends you know, most of us here probably know it's just it's way more than an apology. It's way more than just words. A lot of times we think we can say words and it's over with and uh you know, she, she gave a, 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 the answer that, you know, the last seven years, the way that you've been living, that, that, you know, that, that that's amends enough. What I, want, what I want you to keep doing is to, to stay sober and be a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous and continue to try to help people. And that the way that I was living at that, you know, then was, was amends enough. And what happened through that and what I what I experienced when she was talking to me was that she became free that through through my membership in Alcoholics Anonymous and trying to live Alcoholics Anonymous as a way of life that over time she became free and that by letting her talk about that you know and looking back on, on on that situation. She couldn't, I don't think she could have had that discussion with me when I first got sober. But by her being able to get that stuff out, she became free. And I saw the, the, just the incredible impact that Alcoholics Anonymous can have on somebody's life that is not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that, you know, we, we destroy people's lives the way that we live when we're drinking. We can actually restore people's lives by our, by recovering and, and by trying to live by spiritual principles. And, you know, in AA, a lot of times we, we want to focus on me, 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 and we think we do this for ourselves. And you hear people talking about making amends for themselves. And, uh, you know, I had the complete opposite experience that with, with her. That we, we do these amends so that other people can be free. We do these amends so that other people can, can be off the hook. We do the amends for a lot of these with these with a lot of people so that they don't have to worry about it and what we're doing that they don't have to be burdened with worrying about you know, whether we're going to come home or whether we're going to die and it was just a powerful experience and the the relationship with my mom ever since then has been completely different right it's it's it's, it's one that is just it's kind of based on mutual respect I continue to honor, I continue to show up and, and be happy. I continue to stay sober and try to help other people because that's what she told me to do. So I don't have any, I don't have any choice in that um, anymore. And when, uh, when she has something going on in her life, guess who she comes? 
and she's got she's got five kids and I don't know how many grand uh, grandkids she's got now and some great grandkids. But when something's going on with her, she calls me and she says, I, "I'm calling you to talk to you because you're you understand." And you know, for that isolation and, and I mean, that's all any of us want. We want to talk to somebody to understand. We want to, we want to, want to know that we're not alone and, and that we're not different. Um, and so, what time is it? What, when we start? Huh? 10.30. You're fine. Am I good? Yeah. Good, good to go? All right. Keep going, huh? Um, so, you know, it's important for me to remember that, that if I want to be free, if I want other people to be free, and if I want to take my place in, in society, then, um, that I've got to clean up my past. That that I've got to um, I got to be willing to to walk through that fear and trust in God and uh, you know be at one with with the world and be at one with with all the, with all these people and you know once you get to that spot that you you clean up the past to the best of your ability man you got a just a, a rocket engine behind you for life and that there's you know I I, I truly believe that for me that in the, it's actually the doctor Silkworth wrote it. He says that we can recreate our life. He says that if our ideals are grounded in a power greater than ourselves, we can recreate our life. That's been my experience. Is that by by fully trying to apply those steps in my life, that I uh, I've been able to recreate my life. Um, one more quick experience here, and I will. We'll, I'll sit down and let Rich come up. Um, maybe three or four more experiences. <laughs> uh, I should, probably should stop right there. It's, it's hard to beat a mama story, right? In AA, everybody, almost all of us got one. I'm, um, but uh, so I probably should stop, but. Uh, just a couple of funny things that, that happened to me. I, I was sober about six or seven months. No, I was sober probably about nine months to a year. And I was starting to make a little bit of money, right? And I was slowly paying some of these amends back. And, man, I really wanted to buy a watch. I never owned a watch. And... I started looking around at some jewelry stores, and I found this really expensive watch. It was about three hundred bucks in nineteen eighty nine. That was like that'd be like spending probably a thousand dollars a day. And uh, of course, I don't tell anybody about it. And I still, I'm still owing people money. And uh, I had my bright idea that I'm just going to go buy this watch, and you know, the stuff can just wait. So I bought this watch. I, man, I'm proud of it. I'm wearing it. And, at that time, I'm working on, I'm installing telephones and cars, and I'm, I've started, I've moved out of the shop into a van, I'm driving around installing car phones and, 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 and vehicles, and one, one night, I, or one day, I, I'm working on some cars, and I go to get to the meeting, and I realize I've lost my watch, and I'm like, man, that watch's got to be in one of those cars, so I call these customers back, and I say, you've seen this watch, the watch never showed up. 
So the moral of that is, if you owe money and you want to buy a watch, don't buy a watch. <laughs> but what happened to me was, now I know I'm a little, maybe too mystical sometimes, but it hit me that, like, man, you know what? I shouldn't have bought that watch. I should have used that $300 to make good on some of those checks or to send somewhere else. Uh, that, that, you know, it, it was just a reminder that when you deviate from the path and think you got a good idea, that it, it never works out. I mean, it just never works out. You can't violate a spiritual principle and get away with it. It's absolutely impossible. You might think you will for a little while. It, it, you give, it gives the appearance that you can, but it always, it always comes back to you. Always comes back to you. When I got through that divorce with, uh, with my first wife, I was extremely resentful at women. Um, my, she, had, she had actually gone to the beach with my dad and his wife, and I'm sober, and I can't remember why I didn't go to the beach, but she ended up finding, you know, she met some dude at the beach while she was there with my dad, and I thought that was kind of weird. And she comes home, and she says, yeah, I'm leaving. And uh, long story short was that um, um, we had a pattern of that in, our, in, in the marriage. It was just just one thing after another, and her, she, she you know, I finally just came to the conclusion: was she like other guys? Wasn't she like me? It just, you know, it, it eventually became it wasn't just a big deal. It wasn't a big deal to me, but I was just extremely resentful with women, and I, I used just that 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 one relationship to judge everything, right? And that one. The actions of one person dictated what I thought about everybody, and I um, I went through I, I stayed single for a couple of years, not quite two years, and um, that's not true. About a year. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get my dates right here, but I I kind of just swore. Now if I talk too quick, I'll lie. So <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one in here that does that. And we like to, you know, to kind of exaggerate the truth a little bit. But I was, I was like, man, I'm never getting married again. I'm swearing off forever. You know, I'm never going to do that again. And uh, I was just you know, resentful. And, you know, through good sponsorship and through uh, the, the power of God and the power of, program, of the program, I, um, I, I overcame that. And I, and I realized that, that it's pretty selfish of me and pretty narrow-minded to think that the actions of one person dictates how millions of people will act. And, you know, when I finally got to that place and overcame that resentment, it was like uh, my wife just kind of popped up out of the floor. I mean, like, right when I, like, overcame that, and <clears throat> I, um, I started dating. Me and my wife started dating, and uh, we, we ended up getting married. But I say that to, to say this, that, that that experience that I had four or five years sober of, 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 of realizing that, um, that God's in control and that God's in charge and, and kind of doing an inventory on my relationships and how I treated women, was I didn't want to carry that into the, the, a new relationship. And part of my amends back was trying to, to, to act different. And I've been, married, been remarried now, I think it's 20 years. And me and my wife have a really good relationship. Me and my wife don't fight. We don't argue. We don't tell each other what to do. 
We don't try to change one another. Um, and I don't want to imply that we don't agree on that. We, you know, that there's never disagreements on stuff, but uh, we had one one argument when, not long after we'd gotten married, and it was mostly all because of my you know, my my fear and my my selfishness. Um, but we don't have a marriage like that. It's based on mutual respect and love. And I have my amends there in that relationship is I've never raised my hand to hit her. I've never called her a nasty name. I've never cussed at her. And those are all things that I, that, that's what I did. And I say that because, not that I'm, I've done anything good, but I say that because that's the power of God. That's the power of the program that, that I, I really became willing to do something different. I became willing to let God dictate my actions and my words. And that first marriage I was in, man, I just destroyed that woman through the way that I treated her. And, you know, I, you know I've tried to make amends for that. I don't know if, you know, sometimes people can't get over stuff. And I've, I've tried not to do that. And I've tried to bring the principles of the program into that relationship. Um, and, you know, that's not... That doesn't come from me. That comes from that power. That comes from a, a willingness to try to, to, to be different and to, to honor that commitment of, of treating somebody different than what I used to do. So I appreciate y'all listening to me. Thanks. All righty, rich alcoholic. And <laughs> I think coming off of six and seven, um, into this amends process for me. I was starting to get pretty clear on some things. I was telling you that I was becoming inwardly rearranged. I'm liking meetings I didn't used to like. Uh, I noticed you all were getting a lot better. You know how that goes. You know, they're, they're not bugging me as much at the meetings. And it, it creates the illusion that the others are getting better, which means I am. Um, I, my, my work life, I progressed from sweeping the floor uh, for 625, I was uh, vacuuming swimming pools at the, the high rises along the ocean in Ocean City. Um, I think I was making uh, $500 a week cash, and it was like amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, just mind blowing. And I love doing those swimming pools because I had to do it from like 4:30 in the morning until 10 a.m. because the pool's open and people like to swim. I didn't know that people woke up before noon, but they do. And um, you know, and you're out there doing the swimming pool, and sometimes I have my shirt off, and the sun would be coming up and hitting my shoulders, and the dolphin would be going past in the ocean, and it was just like I was a part of like it felt like the world coming to life each day, um, and it's I'm, I'm surfing and being done your job at 10 a.m. and 500 bucks a week, you know I get I have no excuse for you know not I, I want to do anything you guys are doing, man. I'm just like. If there's an AA thing going on, I'm all in. I'm in a, all of that that stuff's going on for me, and and change it. And, and, but the truth about six and seven, you know what I I I wrote down uh, what Jerry said. You know, if there was if there was more I could do, there'd be more written. I love that. I just wrote it in my book. Um, and the truth of it is, is that. While these defects are what keep me from entering the kingdom, right? It's what separates me from you and God and peace and everything decent is all these parts of me. 
uh, you know, I'm what blocks me from entering the kingdom. It's not God. It's not you. It's not any. It's me. Um, I could be there right now, but for me, right? And why don't I want any of these defects removed? Becomes clear, right? Step six and seven, they're just so extreme, right? Like, and God does not remove part of a defect. I have to be absolutely, in, in, in the 12 and 12, it talks about we've been given an example of what happens when we become 100% willing to have something totally removed. It says, I've been granted perfect release from alcoholism. Perfect release. And then Bill calls it the riddle of my existence, right? Why am I not willing to do this with everything else? You know, well, how about my, my lust? You know, let's, let's get rid of 100% of, whoa, whoa, whoa. 100% of lust. How about, you know, 80% of lust? I'll keep, I mean, you want to talk about a boring bedroom life. You know, you don't want to get rid of 100%. I mean, most of it, okay. You know, 100% agreed. I mean, what's that all about? I mean, everybody, I, I grant it, you know, I don't want to screw you out of millions, but I mean, a little bit would be okay. Right? And it just, it becomes very clear as I go through every defect um, about me. You know, well, what about honesty? You know, well, I concede that, like, you know, lying is terrible and I want to be rid of that. And, um, but everybody knows that in business, I mean, when push comes to shove, you got to screw the other guy a little bit. I mean, that's how you make money. Uh, so I, I want to be, I want to be mostly honest. And more than that, I want to be perceived in business as really honest. You know, I don't want to be totally honest, but I want to be perceived. You know, like I want to be 95% honest. But God doesn't remove part of a defect. Um, and it's just so extreme. Uh, and, and that's the truth of what you're looking at is um, I don't think that I'm ever going to rise above human. You know, and whether I'm alcoholic or not alcoholic, you know, that, that that's, seems to be the human uh, condition that we all get to enjoy uh, throughout this journey. But with that said, um, I, I had become convinced that life as I've been living it, you know, was a disaster. That much was clear. And he said, you know, that step, steps one through uh, eight, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Roger said, well, now it's step nine. This is where the rubber meets the road. How free do you want to be, kid? How free do you want to be? Well, you know, we got all kinds of sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous. We got ground beef, the filet mignon. What do you want? And all the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is up to step nine is it's a theoretical program. Nobody cares. All you are, Rich, up to step nine is you're a self-informed jerk. He didn't say jerk. He said he used a different word. Um, I'm looking at him because that's all you are. Nobody out there in the world cares that you've made some peace with the God of your understanding in steps one, two, and three. Good for you. Nobody cares that you've written out a bunch of inventory, shared it with your sponsor and God. Good for you. Nobody cares that you could, you know, talk a little bit. You're somewhat self-aware of your, you know, defects and liabilities, shortcomings, whatever word you like. Good for you. They don't care. And nobody out there in the world cares that you got a list of what you're going to make right. You've been going to make right your whole life. Good for you. But step nine is where we get to step out there. We get to step out into the world, he said, and maybe, just maybe, you get to die with both sides of the slate clean, both sides even. How free do you want to be, kid? 
man, and that lit something in me. And I, I, I don't know if it does anything for anybody else, but it did. I mean, that opportunity and that thought that maybe I could die even, you know, that will have been a successful life for me if I could just wipe the slate clean. And he said, the first thing you're going to start doing is dating that mother of yours. Uh, because on my inventory, when if I, you're, you know, you don't have any resentments like me, uh, he said, well, I'll tell you a good place to start. Why don't you just start with, put just, you know, list anybody in your life that's ever loved and cared about you. Just go ahead and put them down. It's a great place to start, a four-step. Anybody that's ever loved and cared about me. Um, and, and mom, you know, is, is sure at the top of that list of those that have loved and cared about me. And, and she couldn't even look at me and her you know, head would go down. And he said, start dating your mother, you know, once a week, wherever she'll go with you, if she'll go anywhere. Um, do something with her and now I got this big time job with the swimming pools I got 500 bucks a week I'm coming to these different meetings like things are starting to get good you know and, and, and I'm dating mom and she she was going with me and we're dating and dating and dating and Friday night was our date night uh, which bummed me out a little because there's a group where I'm from called the action group that's a lot like this group uh, where they do the actions of Alcoholics Anonymous and they met on Friday night uh, and I had to miss that meeting you know for our date and my sponsor told me to he's like you'll get back to that if that's what mom wants to date you're lucky she'll go anywhere with you you just go and uh, so we're dating and you know that's hip man when you're 30 dating mom on a Friday night it doesn't get better right yeah right um, but uh so, something inside me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be there. I mean, that's weird, right? I should have known something was going on, but I did. You know, like, and after lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of these nights of just sitting and eating and talking a little bit, the most magnificent thing in my life probably happened, which is we were sitting at Carabas. My mother's eating spaghetti with meatballs. It's her favorite thing in the world. You could offer her filet mignon and lobster, and she'll pick spaghetti and meatballs, and uh, which is good when you're paying the bill and don't have a lot of money, by the way. And uh, she's twirling that spaghetti around, and her head came up. And she was looking at me in my face for the first time in about 10 years. And we just started talking eyeball to eyeball, mother to son. And she started asking me to come over to her house to take the trash out because it was getting heavy for her. She got up in age and it's a little walk to the dumpster. And uh, there's one light in her kitchen. There's one light bulb. It's a little kitchenette with two tables and, and a little area where you cook and, and, and the washer. And you have to get on a chair to change the light bulb. And she'd asked me to do that before when I was you know, drunk and, and living that life. And I'm embarrassed to tell When that light's out, she can't see to cook or eat. And she'd say, can you please come change this light bulb? And it would take me two to three weeks to sober up enough to go over there to do that. But not anymore. You know, not, not anymore. She calls. I get to be there, man. And, uh, and I'm over there, and I'm changing light bulbs, and I'm taking out trash, and, and we're just talking, and we're becoming mother and son. And I talked about you know, this, this whole idea of being a man. Like, I just want to be a man. And what I've learned through this experience with my mother is that it's real hard to be a man if you first don't learn how to be a son. And it's affected every relationship with every woman that I've ever had since. And uh, I've been married for the first time now, uh, a little over three years. And um, when I got here, my, my credit score was like sub-zero. Whatever you get for having a social security number, like a, maybe they give you a 300 out of pity. You know, that, that's what it was. 
Um, I owed everybody and everything. The IRS was looking for me. I owed them upwards of $37,000. I had a deal with the IRS and the federal government, for that matter. It was like, I don't ask anything of you. You don't ask anything of me. And that's our relationship. Um, But they don't feel that way. They want their money regardless, you know. And... um, so, so they were looking for me, and the calls were coming, and the letters, and you know, they make you sick in your stomach, and you can only throw it in the trash for so long. It turns out that it's harder to throw bills in the trash sober. You know, that's one of the reasons I had to stay drunk is to to be able to do that. You can, uh, I don't know how you're built, uh, but it turns out that I can fight it all I want. The way the way God built me, it's real hard for me to just throw stuff away sober that I know I'm responsible for that we still quiet voice inside as I reach for the trash can goes, no, 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 right? And uh, I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, so that's going on. And um, as the result of of, of these amends and living this life, we just um, bought this house that is, uh, if you're new, I'll tell you this, this is a remarkable learning thing for me. If you pay all of those bills when they come in in the period of time that it says, your credit score like goes through the roof. I have almost perfect credit, like 12 years later. Um, and that was it, that was the secret. I mean, I wish I had something better for you or more profound, but it's like you pay the bills when they say, credit score up. Um, don't pay credit score, da- anyways. Um, that took me almost 40 years of life for that piece of wisdom. And, uh, so we get this, you know, spectacular home that uh, we bought the AA way. And what that means for me, the AA way, is listening to, uh, I've turned my will in my life over to the care of God. What my third step means to me today is I've turned my will in my life over to the care of God as he manifests himself through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, the way that I actually put that in practice is I listen to my sponsor and two or three other men. Uh, I call them my spiritual board of directors. You know, if I go, I go, hey, I'm thinking of asking Lauren to marry me, what do you guys think? And the board meets. She seems nice, caring, she's responsible, she has a spiritual life. And they come back to me and they're like, we think that would be a good choice. How do you plan to do it? Well, I was thinking of blah, 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 blah. And the board meets and goes, no, 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 no. Ask her mother how you should do it. And I go, oh, that's good. And then I go back, right? And, uh, you know, and I, they, the board of directors always comes up with a better thing than I had. And that is a totally different way of, of living life. Um, and not thinking that there's something so small, um, you know, that this is my area, right? This is the financial area. I don't need to take that to the board of directors. You know, they're offering me a promotion. Who says no to a promotion? I don't need to take that to the board of directors, right? My brain always tells me that this one's mine. I don't need to take it to the board of directors. Uh, but everything that I've done, my track record shows that everything I've taken to the board of directors, right? Whenever I put Alcoholics Anonymous first in that board of directors, whatever I put second becomes first class. And when I don't do it that way, it gets all messed up, right? Um, so I, I got this uh, house with my, with my wife and it's right on the water. We could go right out there and surf yard with a, a fence for my wife's dog is why we picked that turns out that it's great for our daughter but we weren't you know even thinking about kids at the time um and i could if i painted you a picture of where i get to live it, it's i so don't deserve it and it would probably if you're new just piss you off because i hate it when people 
talked about stuff like this. And, um, but if my mom got to give this talk, you know, the biggest thing that the board of directors and, and came back on, and if she got to give this talk, she would tell you the most spectacular thing about that house is that my wife and I chose to live 1.7 miles from her house so that I could change light bulbs, take out the trash, and that she gets to come see her granddaughter two to three days a week. Uh, that's what she likes the most about my house. And I wouldn't have come up with that as a consideration in, in, in home shopping, right? And um, that relationship today is, uh, like I said, you know, she's, uh, she's retired. She taught school for 36 years. She could tell you down to the T how many children, first graders, she's taught to read. Um, and she's just enjoying her retirement because she doesn't have to worry uh, where I am and what I'm doing. And, uh, and if I'm okay, because she knows. And um, at the end of my amend with my mother, you know, and all the money that I took and times I burglarized her home and uh, bail and the lies, and I go through all of this stuff. Um, you know, we always end our amends in the, the way that I've been taught and the guys that I sponsor with it. And how can I make this right? And then is there anything else that I can't remember? You know, which opens that door for the conversation that Jerry was talking about. And you know what my mother said? She started crying. And she looked at me, and my mother is about as overweight as I am, which is maybe 10, 15 pounds. And she said, all the way through high school, every weekend you never came home. You always slept over at friends' houses. I never met any of your friends. I never met any of your girlfriends. All the way, you know, middle school, high school, when you'd come home from college, you always stayed over your friends' houses. I never knew who you hung out with. I never knew who you dated. And she's crying. And she said, are you ashamed of me because I'm fat? Wasn't even on my radar. And I got to, I'm crying, talking to her. And I said, Mom... You've been the greatest mother in the world. I'm so not ashamed of you. You and dad had rules here. We weren't allowed to drink in the house. We weren't allowed to bring drugs in the house. In high school, there were parents that if we put our keys in a basket, they would let us drink in the backyard or in the basement because they felt that it was better for us to drink there uh, than, than out. I went to where I could drink. This had to do with alcoholism, not with you, and certainly not your weight. I've never been ashamed of you. And you want to talk about getting free, man. I physically saw my mother's demeanor change. And can you imagine going through life for 15 years, believing your son is ashamed of you and you've never met any of his friends or girlfriends, uh, you know, because of your weight? And it became pretty clear what the solution to that is, is my mom's the cookie mom at my home group. Um, she comes, you know, about at least once a month, drops off cookies about a half hour before the meeting, knows all of my friends. You know, hey, how are you doing, Tom? You're coming up on six months, right? Good to go. Did you get a cookie? Oh, Steve, good to see you, Steve. You have, what, 20 years next? I mean, she knows everybody in my home group. Um, she comes and, you know, sometimes she'll stay. We're an open meeting. Sometimes she'll leave. Uh, but there's no part of my life that's closed off from her when I was dating my wife um, and, and some women before my wife in Alcoholics Anonymous because I, I, I dated for, you know, a while before I found the woman to be my wife. And uh, I'd let my mom weigh in. We're going on a date. We're going to Carabas. It's Friday night. I go out with my mom on Friday nights. Come on. It's just, just a date, double date with mom here. And, uh, and afterwards, you know, sometime I'd go over there to take out the trash and I'd go, well, mom, what do you think? 
and I'd listen. And my mom just started to get the freedom, I think, of what every mother wants is to see their kid happy and to get to feel like a mom. You know, my opinion matters, my experience as a mother to kind of nudge my son through life. And um, it, it's just, it, it's a cool deal. I could, I, I could go on and on about it because it might be the most important or one of the most important relationships in, in my life. Uh, the next was my little sister. I had a set of Ravens season tickets, Baltimore Ravens. Um, when I got sober, I don't know why I had those. I had a black hefty bag with like every earthly possession that I owned in it. Um, and a set of Baltimore Ravens season tickets. I, I think it was like the result of like one last drug deal. Like I'll trade you for your season tickets before I got sober, but I couldn't swear to it. Um, I do know that that's just how we are when we get sober. Our priorities are so out of whack. I sponsor a lot of guys. Um, I'm on the board of directors for this homeless shelter in our area. And, um, and I just get to be there a lot because of that. And I work with them and it's amazing to me. They don't have bank accounts like I didn't. I mean, they got nothing, right? They got the same bag of clothes I had, and I'm driving them to the meeting, and they get out their phone. You know what they got? iPhone 6. I'm like, now, how is it that you got an iPhone 6? You don't have a bank account? You don't have nothing? I mean, like, our, our priorities are just so far out. You know, we've got nothing we need as far as life skills in life, but I got all the, I got this other stuff that I don't need that I think I do. Anyways, he said, send those tickets to your sister. She lives down in Federal Hill, which is an area near the stadium. I lived in Ocean City. He's like, you don't even like the NFL, you know, sober. You can't sit still for three hours, you know. And I couldn't. I was back into the stream of life. I like playing sports, not watching them so much now. You know, while I can still get in there, I'm going to do it, you know. And I'm surfing again, and those, those joys and passions are coming back into my life because when I drank, that's one of the things that I surrendered to alcohol or alcohol took, depending how you like to say that, um, we get into these semantic battles in AA that are goofy. Anyways, um, I just know when I drink, everything must go. Every joy, passion, hobby. It's one of the things I love asking the guys I sponsor when they're like a month sober. I'm like, hey, uh, I'm going to write you a check here for a million dollars. What would you like to do? And most of them can't answer the question. Tell me about your dreams. Where do you want to go? You know, Did you always want to see the... The Caribbean, Fiji, Tavarua, you know, you ever surf Bali? Ever taken your kid to Disneyland? Well, what are your dreams? I mean, what do you want to do? And you're like, we're like, uh, 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 I just sit at the bar, you know, like, and it's because like my hobbies and interests are so far gone in my past and uh, that's all coming back to me, you know, at this point in my, in my sobriety while I'm, you know, in this amends process, like, I don't know a better way to say it. I'm back in the stream of life, man. I said, well, these are expensive tickets. You know, my sister hadn't talked to me in six and a half years. This would be, why would I send these to her? And he said, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, send the tickets. And, and I did, and nothing happened. And I went back, and I'm like, nothing happened. And he's like, good, send the next set. And I'm like, whoa, are you listening to what I'm telling you? I did what you said. He said, send the next set of tickets. And I send the next set of tickets. And what happens is that that next Sunday, two weeks later, the phone rings. And on the other end of that phone is this little voice that says, Richie, 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 did you see it? They just threw the ball in the end zone. The Ravens caught it. They tied the game. The game's tied. It wasn't anything I could have cared less about, man. I didn't even know who the Ravens were playing. But I was talking to my little sister, man, for the first time in six and a half years. And it was a big deal. And I kept sending those tickets. And we started developing this little friendship around football. 
and I would just listen to her talk about the game and it was like learning to talk to her again and to just listen and be a big brother because there was a point in our lives up to about 12 where I was a big brother and she would look up to me and want to talk to me and be around me and I and I'd ruined that where alcoholism I don't know if anybody can relate to this it made my little sister like the big sister she had to look down at me like I was the drunken kid you know and, and, and the irresponsible and I was um, and there was this really unnatural um, role reversal type thing and it was starting to to write itself you know not that I, I I'm sending tickets and talking to her about football and the relationship is sort of fixing itself and then she bought her first house in Federal Hill and it's like this area of these like overpriced rundown little row homes and um, that need a lot of fixing up and on Friday I'd finish my job and dating mom and then uh, after dinner sometimes on Friday night or early Saturday morning I'd drive three hours to Baltimore City and I'd stay with her and I'd help her paint the place or put down flooring or whatever we were doing just fixing up that little place and then I'd drive back and I got to tell you like I was always tired I never like was excited to go paint the house on the weekend. I never had enough money for gas and toll in my mind. And, um, you know, like it was just never convenient. And um, my sponsor says, if Alcoholics Anonymous is convenient for you, you're doing it wrong. Like it's not supposed to be convenient. And if I was waiting to have enough money to make any of these amends, you'd have somebody else standing here because I wouldn't be sober, you know. But by going, 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 going and taking the actions of a big brother, no matter what was going on up here, the feet were being a big brother. And the heart followed that. And after some years and years and years, I get a phone call from a guy that she'd been dating, Justin, and I know who he was. And he said, Rich, I know your father's no longer with us, uh, but you're the number one man in your little sister's life. I'm calling to ask if I could have her hand in marriage. And... I'm telling you, man, there is nobody less qualified than the drunk standing in front. I mean, I was a piece of crap, big brother, to give away the hand of a beautiful little girl like this. And Alcoholics Anonymous allowed me to do that. And she called the next day, asked if I'd walk her down the aisle, and I got to do that sober and in my right mind and dressed appropriately. And it was, I mean, you want to talk about it, it was like one of... One of my finest moments, man, was walking down there sober with that little girl. And, God, when I think about that, it was so joyful. I mean, it was just, you just get to be a big brother, you know. And that relationship, man, has grown and grown and grown. And the best part about that, she's got a little boy. Um, his birthday is uh, this coming Wednesday. He'll be three. His name's Sadler, my nephew. And uh, she's got another little guy, Brixton, my other nephew. He's one and a half. And I have a one-and-a-half-year-old little girl, Isabella. And those kids, they always come to the beach. And, you know, Uncle Rich teaches them to boogie board and build sandcastles. And all three of those kids play together. And we can all be under one roof with my mom there watching this. You know, can you imagine that? Just like your kids and her grandkids. And there's just none at all that separation. If any of those people were in the same room before, I was going to be in trouble for a whole bunch of lies and all kinds of stuff. And Alcoholics Anonymous... Has, has fixed a lot of that, you know, through this process to where we could just be a family. And it's nothing short of, of spectacular in my world. 
probably normal in other people's world. And I'm paying the IRS a little bit of money towards this. We drove to Baltimore. It's again three hours to meet with the IRS. I'm sure they're going to lock me up. And he sponsor on the way. He's telling me about the principle of the goose that lays the golden egg. He goes, they don't lock up the goose that lays the golden egg. They're not going to lock you up, stupid. They want their money. You know, <laughs> they lock you up. You're not giving any money. Oh, they're going to lock me up. Shut up. You know, and we get there and I, I, I go in and, you know, which is funny now because you're, I mean, I now know people that, you know, owe a lot more than that $37,000 to the IRS. And, like, they just don't lock anybody up if you're trying to pay something. You know, but I didn't know that at the time. I was sure I was done for. And they put me on this $20 a week payment plan. And I have no idea how you pay $37,000 $20 at a time. Because <laughs> I, I, I had a plan. And my plan was like every other alcoholic I've ever talked to. When I had 37000 extra dollars, I was going to give it to the IRS, right? The problem is I never have 37000 extra dollars. And my experience is, you know, when I got free, because those letters that come in and those phone calls and all that, that's why alcoholics have to have caller ID. Um, you got to look at that stuff because we got to hide from a lot of people. Are there certain calls I can take and not take? I got to evaluate. Do I answer this one? Do I not answer this one? You know what that's called? Living in bondage of self. And I don't have time to get into all that, but you could talk to your sponsor. If you got to look at caller ID before you answer the phone, one of the neatest freedoms of my life today, and there's several of you in here that call me, you know how I answer the phone. Hello, Rich Bruckner. Because there's nobody that I'm hiding from in the world today. Came in here with warrants in three states and a whole lot of people looking for me. Don't know anybody a cent. Guy that's standing in front of you, don't know a person in the world a cent. And nobody's looking for me. And that doesn't mean everybody likes me. It just means they're not looking for me. Right? And that's amazing to be able to answer the phone like that. And, and, 20, and that went on for, um, I think, six years with the IRS. And until they got paid, and as my jobs progressed, I was able to pay more, the same as we heard. Uh, the neatest thing, my, my, my sponsor's in the hospital um, right now. He's got a pacemaker and, and, and a bad heart and congestive heart failure. And The doctors say he's got a bad heart. I think he's got the biggest heart in Alcoholics Anonymous because he helped save my life and delivered this message to me and walks the journey with me. So uh, I think it's a pretty terrific heart. But... Uh, Maybe he's given so much of it away that it's uh, starting to fail him. And that's where he is right now, actually. But he went to the post office for that last payment to the IRS, and we're right in downtown Ocean City, and the post office is like the center hub of town. And I put that last check into the IRS with him standing there, and he's about this big and, you know, pushing 80 years old. And he said, say it out loud to the mailbox. Say it out loud. And I put that check in and I said, my amends to the IRS is complete. Right? And he jumps up over that mailbox and we did this high five, me and my little old sponsor. And it, it was something else. He thought he was Jordan. And, uh, and about a year later, man, I got this envelope from the IRS. I was thinking there was like a big check in it. And I knew that I screwed something up and I was going to jail. And I drove the 20 minutes up to his house. And I'm like, I don't know what I did wrong. They sent this and what is all this stuff? And he looked at it and he's like, that's called a tax return, dummy. Normal people get these every year. And uh, so I've been getting them every year from the IRS. I pay them. They give some back. It's changed the nature of the way that I interact with the IRS. It is, it's not bad. It's kind, of, it's kind of nice when they come. Um, I had this friend named Ethan. He said, Ethan's next on the list. You're going to do this one next. And Ethan and I have been childhood friends since, shoot, third grade, I mean, knee high. 
and um, we grew all the way up together. And when I was out there in California taking over the world, you know, one drug deal at a time, big shot guy living in La Jolla, he had, and his father, he invited me to be the best man in his wedding. And I'd heard this girl he was marrying was spectacular. His father sent me a plane ticket, had me fit it for a tuxedo, purchased the tuxedo. Um, and y'all know I was so excited, man, to be the best man in his wedding. I mean, just my best friend in the world that uh, I was so excited. Y'all know what I did. I started drinking a little bit, right, to celebrate this momentous occasion. And uh, I got so drunk that I couldn't get on the airplane. And when I screw something up like that, I've already told you, you know, that I'm a coward. And the way that I deal with that is you go on that secret list that has to go onto the caller ID of the don't answer list. Because I know why you're calling. You're calling to tell me what a piece of crap I am. And believe me, there's nobody that knows more of what a piece of crap I am than me. And now every time the phone rings and I'm sober and years have gone by, I've heard that Ethan's wife is wonderful. I heard they had a child and another child. And but I can never answer the phone. Whenever I see it's Ethan, man, I, I, my, 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 my guts you know, tighten up. You all know that feeling. It's, oh, God. And, I mean, cause I know why he's calling. I know he's told his wife, you know, what a scumbag I am. He's told these kids about this piece of crap friend that couldn't. And uh, so I call him up. I tell him, I, uh, hey, Ethan. I was hoping I could drive down there. He lives three hours away in Baltimore. I said, I'm in this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous. I know that I was like a lousy friend. And uh, what I did at your wedding, there's just no excuse for. And we got this step, man, and called the nice step where I got to try to clean up the wreckage of everything that I've ruined in my life or I don't stand a chance of staying sober. I was hoping I could have five minutes with you and your father. Um, you know, if, if you'll see me and talk to me, this is really a life or death deal. I know you hate me. Can I just have five minutes? And he said, yeah, you could be here at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning if you can make it. And that was about nine years later. So I think he had one of those resentment things. Uh, and I showed up, and I showed up 15 minutes early and with a pocket full of swimming pool money. And uh, I saw his parents' car, and I knocked on the door, and Ethan answered the door. And his wife was standing by the middle kitchen counter with the little girl next to her. And the mother and father were in the back of the kitchen. And what I didn't see was this little boy dart to me, man, from somewhere. I don't even know where he came from. And he just came trucking at me, and he grabbed a hold of my leg, and he looked up at me, and he said, You're my Uncle Rich? Daddy said one day I'd meet you. And in that instant, with that kid holding on to my leg and looking up at me, it was as if those scales of pride, ego, old ideas just kind of dropped away and I had this inward knowing. It was an experience that could only occur that way. That in that second, I'm looking at this little kid and I realized that I'm what keeps me from you. I'm what separates me from you and if I'm separate from you, I'm separate from God. My stupid ego, my inability to admit that I'm wrong kept me from about four years of that young man's life and all of his birthdays and all the fun activities and everything involved. He's just waiting to meet his Uncle Rich. He hadn't told him any of the things that my head told He told him he had an Uncle Rich that was a great guy that maybe he'd get to meet him. And I did my amends with Ethan. And, and part of that was we do go down there. I have family in Baltimore. We do Christmas Eve in Baltimore. I do it with my family. And then we go over there with Ethan's family. And every year, uh, Uncle Rich is there, you know, with, with some presents for the kids and time together. And more of anything, the continuity of Uncle Rich always being there. Because that's what Alcoholics Anonymous uh, has shown me the value of discipline, commitment, routine. Uh, it's what integrity is built on, is those kind of, you know, routine actions of, you know, they know where I'm going to be at my home group. They even know what chair I'm going to be sitting in because I'm taught that that's valuable, that continuity of action. If people know nothing else, 
they know where I'm going to be, you know, on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. And uh, I sat down with this father, you know, after I, I made that. I'll tell you this, too, with those kids. I go down there for their birthdays, and whenever there's a snow day, I'll, I'll drive down there when they're off school. And there's this great hill at the Board of Education on a street called Charles Street in Baltimore where I take them sleigh riding. And, uh, you know, little kids are. They don't realize you're, I mean, it's a six-hour round trip to do that for an hour. And, and they go, Uncle Rich, you show up on all the good days. Like it's an accident, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but hey, hey, let's just show up, man, for all the good days. And I sat down with this father, and I made my amends to his father, and I told him, you know, I know I owe you for this plane ticket and a tuxedo. And he said, you're darn right you do. You owe me $1,372. And uh, I reached in my pocket, you know, and I had my swimming pool money, and I'm getting ready to, you know, give it to him. And he said, no, no. You're not going to pay it to me if you're really a part of this Alcoholics Anonymous thing. You really have a home group. You're really helping guys. Any of this stuff you're saying, if any of that's true, what you're going to do is no more than $10 at a time. You're going to take some donuts or cookies to your group every now and then. Buy them a bag of that fancy coffee. Drunks like fancy coffee every now and then. You know, save the receipt. None of the receipts can be for more than $10. Put gas in a newcomer's car so that they could get to the next meeting. Don't give them the money. Put the gas in their car, right? And... Uh, when you have $1,372 worth of receipts, none of them being more than $10, you will drive them back to Baltimore and give them to me on that day. And on that day, your amends to me will be complete. By the way, I'm sober and Alcoholics Anonymous 28 years, and I've been praying for the two of you since you've been that big. And I didn't see that coming either. And what happened if anybody from my home group was here, they would tell you that they ate Stouffer's lasagna. We became an eating meeting for the next two years. Uh, Stouffer's lasagnas are $9.95. They take one hour and 50 minutes at 425 degrees. I would come home from work, go to the grocery store at 5 o'clock. I would get that in the oven at about 5.15 as soon as I could, so it had two hours to cook. I would get to the meeting an hour early with the plates and the forks that went with it to put it out there. And you know what all of this did for me? It taught me to start thinking about you two hours before I was even with you. I was in and around and with AA. Two hours before I even got to the meeting, I was in the meeting. And it started, you know, it was that shift from, you know, me to you. Becoming a giver rather than a taker, worrying about the care, needs and cares of other people instead of me. To leave work and immediately grocery store, cooking, two hours, to the meeting, pull it out. What a gift that guy gave me. And I got to give him all those receipts, you know, and, and complete that amend because there's something. When Bill Wilson did his fist up with Father Ed Dowling, you could read about this if you're a, 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 a dork like me. Uh, I like history. It's in a book called Not God which uh, a guy named Ernest Kurtz, who is by many think is a, our best historian, he just said that's, that's the one thing you could say about AA, the sum total of A. What do those people know in AA? Oh, they know they're not God, <laughs> right? We, we don't really care what you think about God as long as you're clear that you're not God. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, in there, Father Ed Dowling hears all of the, you know, the stuff that we're scared about of the fourth, the fourth step, you know, the, the confessional element of a fourth step, uh, you know, whatever we did, you know, that we're all scared of. And then Bill's done that. And Father Dowling looks at him and goes, you know, Bill, it's not so much the things that men have done that keep them drunk. It's the things they've left undone. And boy, did that, I mean, whew, that was the story of my life. 
I was almost a good student. I was almost a college graduate. I was almost a Division I soccer graduate. I was almost a lot of things, you know. And, um, and those are the things that when I really get thinking about them, you know, and I try to tell myself stories that, you know, I believe part of the time, the book talks about that, how I'm able to deceive myself part of the time, but there's a part of me that knows that I'm full of it. You know, and it's stories like, ah, who needs a college degree anyway? That's for the, I don't know. I mean, that was, that was really my parents wanted me to have that more than I wanted it for myself. You know, and I try to tell myself, that, but deep inside, I'm bothered by the fact that, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers the show Get Smart. When I missed it by that much. You know, that was like the story. So anyways, that, that made a big difference to me if it means anything to anybody. But uh, that was just a great deal for me learning about finishing what I started and, and doing an amend and with the IRS getting that straightened out. and The uh, kind of the last one that I had, I had this old warrant out in California that I got a DUI and I had some outside issues in my pocket and they have a program out in California called the PC 1000 first time felony offenders program where instead of locking you up for the felony um, you get the opportunity to do this like intensive probation where you have to I mean it was crazy what they expected the judge said instead of locking you up I'm gonna um, you have to do 10 meetings of AA. I mean, can you believe that? 10 meetings of AA to not go to prison for a felony. Um, I mean, their expectations were like, whew. And, uh, you know, some, some urine tests and this and that. And, uh, and he said, if you don't do this, if you don't complete it, if you complete it, it's not going to be on your record. If you don't complete it, I'm going to give you every day of the five years that this carries. Are we clear, Mr. Bruckner? And I said to him what I said to every judge. I mean, this is like my 35th judge, right? And, uh, and I mean it. And I would pass a lie detector. I said, you bet, Your Honor. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm going to be your model probationer. Because, I mean, who can't do that, right? And what I had no idea was that alcohol owned me lock, stock, and barrel. I thought that I was, you know, as George Bush would say, the decider. You know, the, I got to decide whether I was going to successfully complete 10 AA meetings, whether I was going to successfully complete urine analysis, whether I was going to successfully complete, you know, this outpatient. That, you know, I get to, I thought that I had, I honestly believed that I had power, choice, and control to make these things happen. Alcohol, however, had different plans for me. And when I screw up the probation, I've already told you what I do. Tough guys walk through the fire. Cowards run away. Every time there's a warrant, I run away because uh, I'm a coward. Uh, my solutions to most of my problems are like really worse than the problem itself. You know, now I've got this like felony warrant and this and that. And it's a, it's a non-extraditable warrant. I don't know if anybody knows the difference of those. That means they're never coming to get you. But if they arrest you in California you're going to go to jail. Like if I got pulled over for speeding in California, I'm in trouble. But in any other state, California is not going to pay the money to bring me back to lock me up for a DUI. I didn't kill anybody. I'm a drunk, right? But now I'm a drunk that's got about two years sober and is into my ninth step. And he says, I think this is a good time for you to go turn yourself in and serve that five years in California. You owe them that. And uh, how free do you want to be? And I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, sponsors see things different. It's good to have a sponsor because they just see things so different than I do. 
and I'm trying to explain to them by this point I'm pretty well versed in the book you know and I'm going hey man I'm in two years it, it says we don't do these acts of heroics I'd be no good to anybody locked up you know why should I do that my mother needs me my sister I'm a good brother now my mom's trashed didn't you hear about that by this point I'm, 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 I'm two years sober uh, you guys threw in the complimentary AA girlfriend by that point uh, it's not the woman that I married and it never worked out but I thought she was God's will you know how that goes comes around year two it's like and here Here's a bonus prize, right? And, uh, you know, she's 16 years sober at the time. We're keeping house together, not married, you know, just living together. Um, and I'm explaining all this. You know, there's all these people that need me, the group needs me. And he said, well, why don't you talk to your mother and see what she would have you do? And it turns out, y'all know what my mom wants. She wanted, all she wanted was a son that did the right thing. And he said, you know, this career you keep talking about, you vacuum swimming pools. I mean, pretty much anybody can, can do that. They could probably train a monkey. To do, to do what you do. That, that's, that's really not a career. That's a, that's a job. They'll be just fine without you. And, 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 you know, this woman, she's got 16 years sober. She's got a God of her own. She's got a sponsor in her life. In fact, her life was probably better before you came into it. And, and this house you're talking about, it's not a house. It's a trailer. You don't own it. You rent it. This is a great time to go do these five years. And, uh, and I didn't see it that way. I will tell you. And, uh, but guys from my home group, you know, they packed, they packed me up and, you know, I got everything situated and off and they drove me to the airport and they're all hugging me. And what I now know is the way that AA works for me is it's a lot like a train and it's really good to be the center train, the center car in a train. When you watch the news, you know, the, the, the engine can sometimes hit stuff. The caboose, if you go around a sharp turn in life too fast, that caboose will disrail, you know, it's the one that gets flung off the track, the newest car. But you rarely hear about anything happening to those cars in the center of the train. They're sort of safe and protected, uh, just kind of following along those ones in front of me with a couple of the new ones hooked up in back of me. That's a great place to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think it was those cars in back of me that gave me the courage. They had some courage and faith that I didn't have. And I'm the best sharing at the men's meeting at my house on Wednesday night. I'm really scared about going to do this five years. I really like my life sober. I don't want to go do this. And those guys, man, you know what those young dudes looked at me? Like, You're my sponsor, Rich. You've got to do this. And what do you do when the guys that you sponsor are you like have more faith in the process than you do? It's like, you know, you're right. You're right. I, I do. <laughs> and, uh, and off we went to the airport, and I went in front of the judge that, that morning out there, and uh, I had sweat circles under my arms, and I'd been in and out of the bathroom five times, addressing the toilet with different parts of my body. Uh, so any of this business about faith and fear can't be in the same place at the same time. I got no idea what that's about. I was scared to death and, and, and had the faith that somehow you all were going to get me through this thing. And uh, I went in front of the judge, and I, and I made my amend. I said, you know, I've flown 3,000 miles, Your Honor, to do the five years. I just don't ever want to have to drink again. Uh, you gave me a very nice opportunity, and I screwed it up. I am two years sober, and I realized what I promised I'd do versus what I did, and I'm just here to do the five years so that I don't ever have to drink. I'd just like to, you know, get it started. And uh, he looked at me, and, I mean, the guy's head was about to spin off. And... Uh, <laughs> 
And what I didn't know was about 46, 47 of you took the time out of your life to write that judge a letter, uh, telling him what I was doing in Alcoholics Anonymous, telling him what my life looked like. Pastors of churches where we didn't even have meetings uh, talked about kids' camps I was working at. My home group, we think it's very important that you get involved in the community in some facet outside of Alcoholics Anonymous so people see that we do more than meet on our own in meetings. You know, we do softball with local kids, all kinds of other stuff uh, that has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous but everything to do with Alcoholics Anonymous and they're writing letters about my life and I uh, went in front of the judge and he said he starts going through these he's like I've never seen anything like this while you did not complete this probation the way that I told you to you have exceeded by far the terms I told you to go to 10 AA meetings they say you've been over a thousand meetings that you're helping these people you're doing I don't know what this is but this case is dismissed sir you just go back to Maryland and keep doing whatever those people in AA are doing with you this this is dismissed and he hit that thing down and uh that was the 36th time that I was in court and it was the only time out of those 36 that I haven't gone to jail I've never gotten a break I'm not a break getting guy I'm not a prison guy I always get a weekend 30 days 60 days uh that stuff I'll tell you that I came out I called my sponsor I said, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. Man, they didn't lock me up. Tell the guys we don't have to change the men's meeting. The big book study could still be in my living room. I'm coming home. And uh, he said, well, wait a second, hotshot. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you can't get a plane ticket home until tomorrow. I mean, you weren't even planning on coming home, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will tell you that that plane ticket, by the way, is in the front of my book. I, I, I keep it there so because, I mean, that was like God got a lot bigger in my life that day through the experience. Again, y'all didn't convince me of anything. You didn't sell me your God. You said, take these actions and you'll get your own. You'll better than that. You'll experience your own. And that's what was happening. And I said, I'm coming home. And he said, you can't get that ticket till tomorrow. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, what about that college? You remember those Jesuits that kicked you out and those newspaper articles? Jesuit student, 27 kilos of cocaine. Isn't that college right near where you are? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, then go over there and get that straight while you're there. And I'm thinking, like, can we celebrate for a brief moment here? Like, like a major event just happened in case you're, you're, you're five years in prison, not doing that. Did you catch that? Uh, get over there, you know. And the book talks about that, that it's, you know, action and more action. It's like a pep rally when you read those pages of the nine steps. Seriously, it's like, go, kid, go, kid, go, kid, right? And, and, and the more that I'm doing that, God's just showing up left and right. And I go back to the university and I ask to see the dean. And of course, all those years later, it's now like 10 years later, it's the same dean that kicked me out. And I sit down and I make my amends and I say, listen, I uh, know that I brought a lot of shame and disgrace to the university and to the Jesuits. I didn't even know what Jesuits were when I went to college here. Uh, I now know that you stand for building men and women of integrity and, and honor and education and a whole lot of things that I wasn't. Um, but I'm trying to become those things through Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've got to straighten this out and do my best. Uh, I have no idea how to make this right, but I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And she said, if that's true, come with me. And she walked me over to a building next door that I'd never been in and slapped down a huge stack of papers in front of me. She said, this is an application to our law school. I want you to fill this out. What you're going to do is you're going to go to our law school. You're going to go on to graduate and make us proud. That's how you could fix this. We don't like to kick people out. Believe it or not, what makes us look good as an institution is having a high graduation rate and our alumni to go on to do things that make us proud. That's how you're going to fix this. I step outside. I call Roger, my sponsor. I say, this lady's lost her mind. She wants me to fill up these papers, go to law school. I'm a federal felon. I've been arrested 36 times. 
even if I somehow make it through law school, which we all know I'm not smart enough to do, I'm too old to do this, these kids are young, sharp, they're smart, even if I somehow get through this, they're never going to let me take the bar exam because of my background, even if I pass the bar exam, the ethics committee will certainly never let me practice. He said, shut up, shut up. Did you just tell that lady you'd do whatever she said to make this right? And I said, yes, I did. He said, then fill out the papers. And I did, and about a little over three years later, I graduated second from the top of my class at that law school, not because I'm smart, because I did law school the AA way. I showed up a half hour early for every class because you all taught me to do that at the door. I shook every teacher's hand every day of every class until they learned my name, just like I do with the newcomer. I stayed after class for 15 minutes to ask the teacher a question, whether I really had one or not, just like we do the newcomer. It turns out that that's an, it turns out that that's an incredible foundation for life. Like We're just trying to get to know you. We're not trying to bug into your you know, business or anything like that. We're just trying to build the relationship. And it turns out that that principle has served me so well in another many areas of my life. And uh, taking it to work. You know, we just heard about that. Showing up a half hour early, doing the same thing there that I do here, yielded wonderful results. I will share this with you, that uh, my experience with the ninth step is it could go one of two ways. The ninth step is an opportunity for me to clean up the wreckage of my past or it will clean me up. It can come one or two ways. It's a spiritual principle. You can't stop a spiritual principle. My experience with that, I came back, I got hired as a clerkship for two circuit court judges, which is the highest trial court in the state of Maryland. It's a wonderful job. If you clerk for a judge, you write their opinions. When you write there, you do that for two years and you can write your ticket to any law firm you want to go to. I mean, it is the best deal in town. And I'm telling my mother and my home group and my sponsor about it. This is unbelievable. I got this job. Me, you know, clerk for a judge. I'm going to be writing a pay, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, a week after they hired me, I got called back to the judge's office and they said, Millie, we really wanted to hire you. And, uh, but when we turned your paperwork into the state, you get paid through the state, we had to run a background check and you have three outstanding felony warrants from the state of Colorado. And I had no idea that they existed. They weren't on any step I'd worked or four step or eight. And not because I was avoiding it. It was truly a more will be revealed. And, um, and I said to the judges, I said, well, Your Honor, I've already disclosed everything else to you. You know that you're dealing with a guy that's been arrested 36 times. Uh, can I have the opportunity? I'm not supposed to start this job um, for eight months. Can I go to Colorado and try to clear this up and figure out what it is? And if I get it taken care of, can I still have the job? And the two judges looked at each other for about 30 seconds and said, well, we just hired a guy with 36 arrests. Which one more? And, uh, <laughs> and off I went to Colorado. And it turned out I learned what was going on out there. I worked for a, a, a gentleman out there, happened to be a lawyer. And um, I had the, the same experience where he didn't pay me. I don't know if anybody's ever had this. He just didn't pay me what I was worth. Um, and I knew he should be paying me more. So I was supplementing my paychecks back while I was drinking uh, out of his operating account and just paying me what I wasn't stealing. I was just paying myself what I was worth. And, um, but they, they call that felony check fraud for each check over $500. And I had three of them. Um, and I went out there and I sat down with him and uh, I, I paid him the money back that I owed for the checks plus, plus interest. And, um, told him what I was there to do, you know, and, uh, and what was going on in my life and what my life looked like through Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm on this ninth step and I got to try to make this right. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
You're on step nine in Alcoholics Anonymous. Do you know how many times I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous and I've never made it past step three? I always get to step three and I drink. And it changed the course of our visit. He took care of the warrants, man, but that is not why God had me there. And uh, to this day, I wish I could tell you whether he's sober or not. I don't know. I know that I spent the rest of the afternoon outlining the rest of the spiritual program of action like we've been doing this weekend. And I left. He had a sparkle in his eye and told me that he was going to make a decision to go through with the rest of the deal. And I, and, and I hope he did. And I wish I had a cooler end to the story. But that's the truth. We haven't stayed in touch. Uh, but I came back and I was about to start that job. The judges said, wow, man, you like cleared that up. And you know, I was ready to start, and just as I was, my phone rang, and it was a weird phone number, and on the other end of the phone was a guy, I, I didn't recognize the number, but thank God I could answer the phone. And he introduced himself, he said he was the state's attorney for the state of Maryland, and he had a uh, governor on the other line, and that he'd been given a federal grant to hire an assistant state's attorney uh, to head up a new gang and narcotics prosecution unit, and that he'd been given my phone number, that I might know something about the importation of narcotics into our country. Would I serve the state of Maryland as their narcotics prosecutor? I'm thinking, my knees are about buckling, you know? But you know what my second thought was? All those old guys with that smile on their face and that book in their hand, they always promised me one thing. They said, kids, someday... If you go through with all of this, which, by the way, we don't see many people do, right? That first line of how it works, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. They said, if you're tired of failing, cross off that word, fail, and read it back to me. Rarely have we seen a person who has thoroughly followed our path. And that's the truth of it for me. But they said, if you go through with this one day, kid, your sordid past will become your greatest asset. And I can tell you that uh, I've served in that capacity now uh, for about seven or eight years um, where I get to serve the state of Maryland. I stand there at that table. Uh, when I look at the defense table, somebody else might see an armed robber. I see a guy that needed a drink at three o'clock in the morning. Um, I can tell you that I've come up with some very creative sentencing arrangements in that period of time. I practiced law the way that I practice AA because that's what was suggested to me. The result of that is uh, I serve on the Maryland State Bar Association's lawyer assistance program. It's, it's nine people. If a lawyer's about to get disbarred as a result of alcohol or, or drugs, uh, they get sent to me to see if maybe they might want to do something about their problem rather than lose their livelihood. Uh, just two years ago, I got nominated by uh, my... The neat part of this for me is it's my fellows. Because of the way that I practice law, which I swear to you is nothing I do. I just took what you gave me in AA and I practice law the same way. They nominated me for a judgeship. I was the youngest person to be put up for a circuit court judge. Uh, it just came out. They, they picked who it is uh, four months ago and it was not me. They felt that I was too young and I agree with them. Uh, and the person they picked is, is spectacular. But the fact that of three names, my peers, all the attorneys in the state of Maryland picked three names and I got to be one of them. Uh, you know, a lying scumbag. You know, got to be somebody that they thought could be honest and fair. You know, and, and, and that's what you did. And I get to do that at home and I'm taught to try to treat my wife as I would my favorite sponsee. Treat my wife as I would my best customer, Chuck Chamberlain says in a new pair of glasses, taking these principles into their home because it's hard. It's where I'm the weakest, too. I mean, I'm not standing here like I got it nailed, you know, that's for that's for sure. And there have been times my wife has said, boy, I wish you gave me as much time as you do a dying drunk. And that's a little bit embarrassing, but that's the truth. 
you know, and um, and I and I try to you know take this there every day. I mean, it was hard this this career thing at first. Judges, I don't, I don't, I don't like judges. I don't like prosecutors. You know, like God has basically turned me into the guy that I hated my whole life. Right? Like I would have twelve years ago, I would have kicked my own ass. You know what I mean? Like I'm the guy I'd like to beat up. And uh, and the judges, they would, they would, they would go in, and in the morning, like those first couple months, they would say tricky things. You know, how judges are. They would say, "Would the defendant please rise?" And I'd stand up, and he'd go, "Sit down. You're the prosecutor now." You know, and I was like, I was just so used to always being the defendant. And now every day, you know, I'll tell you what. I start my day. So the last day I say we'll get some grub. Was uh, in case you can't tell, man, this is where it all happened for me. I could go on and on and on. Every good thing in my life, every good relationship. Once a month, I have to have a meeting where I get the head of the DEA for Maryland, Virginia, and Delaware together because that's, you know, 13 is, a, is an excellent quarter that comes through the three states, all three governors, all the heads of law enforcement, and I conduct this meeting, uh, which is really like a group conscience. I don't tell them that. Um, and, uh, you know, who do you think that the governor's assistant was from Delaware? Every time I call, she'd answer the phone at the meeting. She'd give him his you know, cheat sheets and she'd sit next to him and it was kind of like what's going on this weekend. They always put the cute chick that really knows what's going on next to the two morons. And uh, and that chick, you know, that kind of ran the, the governor of Delaware uh, turns out to be my wife. That's, that's where we met was because, you know, everything good in my life has come from the ninth step. Every good relationship, every good friendship and a whole lot of fun. And each day I start my day and it, I get to say two great things. In the morning, I go into the courtroom and I say, good morning, Your Honor, Rich Bruckner for the state of Maryland. <laughs> and every night, you know, I come somewhere like this just about. And I get to say what's far more important, which is that my name's Rich Bruckner. I'm an alcoholic. Thanks for listening. Nice step. Nice step.